Chapter Seven of Dwellers in the Hills by Melville Davison Post. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Seven, The Master Builders. The road running into the Southlands crosses the Valley River at two places, at the foot of Thornburg's Hill and twenty miles farther on at Horton's Ferry. At the first crossing, the river bed is piled with boulders, and the river boils through, running like a mill race a swift, roaring water without a ford. At Horton's Ferry the river runs smooth and wide and deep, a shining sheet of clear water, making a mighty bend, still fordless, but placid enough to be crossed by a ferry, running with a heavy current when swollen by the rains, except in the elbow of the bend, where it swings into a tremendous eddy. Over the river, where the road meets it first, is a huge wooden bridge with one span, it is giant work, the stone abutment built out a hundred feet on either side of the bed of the plunging water, neither rail nor wall flanking this stone causeway, but the bare unguarded width of the roadbed leading up to the bridge. On the lips of the abutment, the builders set two stone blocks, smooth and wide, and cut places in them for the bridge timbers. It was a piece of excellent judgment, since the great stones could not be broken from the abutment, and they were mighty enough to bear the weight of a mountain. The bridge rests on three sills, each a log that, unhewn, must have taken a dozen oxen to drag it. I have often wondered at the magnitude of this labor, how these logs were thrown across the boiling water by any engines known to the early man. It was a work for Pharaoh. On these three giant sleepers the big floor was laid, the walls raised, and the whole roofed so that it was a covered road over the valley. The shingle roof and the boarded sides protected the timber framework from the beating of the elements. Dry, save for the occasional splash of the hissing water far below, the great bones of this bridge hardened and lasted like sills of granite. The shingle roof curled, cracked, and dropped off into the water. The floor broke through, the sides rotted, and were all replaced again and again but the powerful grandsires who had come down from the hills to lay a floor over the valley were not intending to do that work again, and went about their labor like the giants of old times. Indeed, a legend runs that these sills were not laid by men at all, but by the dwarfs. As evidence of this folklore tale, it is pointed out that these logs have the mark of a rough turtle burned on their undersurface, like the turtle cut on the great stones in the mountains, and men differ about what wood they are, some declaring them to be oak, and others sugar, and still others a strange wood, of which the stumps only are now found in the hills. It is true that no mark of axe can be found on them, but this is no great wonder, since the bark was evidently removed by burning, an ancient method of preserving the wood from rot. We swung down Thornburg's hill in a long trot, and on to the bridge, the river was swollen, a whirling mass of yellow water that surged and pounded and howled under the timber floor, as though the mad spirits of the river still resented the work of the dwarfs. It was the valley's business to divide the land, and it had done it well, leaving the sons of Eve to bite their fingers until, on a night, the crooked people came stumbling down to take a hand in the matter. We clattered through and down along abutment, it almost made one dizzy to look over. A rail or a tree limb would ride down into this devil's maw, 
or a log would come swimming, its back bobbing in the muddy water, and then strike the smooth nose of a boulder and go to splinters. Beyond the mad river the mild morning world was a land of lazy quiet. The sky was as blue as a woman's eye, and the sun rose clear in his flaming cart. Along the roadside the little purple flowers of autumn peeped about under the green briars. The fields were shaggy with ragweed and dead white-top and yellow sedge. The walnut and the apple trees were bare, and the tall sycamore stood naked in its white skin. Sometimes a heron flapped across the land, taking a short cut to a lower water, or a woodpecker dived from the tall timber, or there boomed from the distant wooded hollow the drum of some pheasant lover, keeping a forgotten tryst. It was now two hours of midday, and the October sun was warm. Tiny streaks of dampness were beginning to appear on the sleek necks of the Cardinal and El Mahdi, and the Bay Eagle was swinging her head, a clear sign that the good mare was not entirely comfortable. I turned to Ump. "'There's something wrong with that bridle,' I said. "'Either the brow-band or the throat-latch. The mare's fidgety.' He looked at me in astonishment, like a man charged suddenly with a crime, and slid his long hand out under her slim throat and over her silk foretop. Then he growled, "'You don't know your ABCs, Quiller.' She wants water, that's all. Judd grinned like a bronzed Bacchus. The queen might wear Spanish needles in her shirt, he said, and be damned, but the bay eagle will never want a tight throat latch, nor a pinch and brow band, or a rough bit, or a short head stall, while old Mr. Ump warms the saddle seat. The hunchback was squirming around, craning his long neck. If the bay eagle were dry, water must be had, and no delay about it. Love for this mare was Ump's religion. I laughed and pointed down the road. We are almost at Aunt Peggy's house. Don't stop to dig a well. And we broke into a gallop. Aunt Peggy was one of the ancients, a carpet-weaver, pious as Martin Luther, but a trifle liberal with her idioms. The tongue in her head wagged like a bell-clapper. Whatever was whispered in the hills got somehow into Aunt Peggy's ears, and once there it went to the world like the secret of Midas. If one wished to publish a bit of gossip, he told Aunt Peggy, swore her to secrecy, and rode away. But as there is often a point of honor about the thief, and a whim of the Puritan about the immoral, Aunt Peggy could never be brought to say who it was that told her. One could inquire as one pleased. The old woman ran no farther than, Them that knows, and there it ended, and you might be damned. The house was a log cottage covered with shingles and whitewash, set by the roadside under a great chestnut tree, its door always open in the daytime. As we drew rein by this open door, the old woman dropped her shuttle, tossed her ball of carpet rags over into the weaving frame, and came stumbling to the threshold in her long linsey dress that fell straight from her neck to the floor. She pulled her square-rimmed spectacles down on her nose and squinted up at us. When she saw me, she started back and dropped her hands. "'Great fathers!' she ejaculated. "'I hope I may go to the blessed God, if it ain't Quiller gaddin' over the country, and Mr. Ward a-dyin'.' It seemed to me that the earth lurched as it swung, and every joint in my body went limber as a rag. I caught at El Mahdi's mane, then I felt Judd's arm go round me, and heard Ump talking at my ear but they were a long distance away. 
I heard instead the bees droning, and Ward's merry laugh, as he carried me on his shoulder a babbling youngster in a little white kilt. It was only an instant, but in it all the good days when I was little, and Ward was father and mother and providence raced by. Then I heard Ump. It's a lie, Quiller, a damn lie. Don't you remember what Patsy said? Not to believe anything you hear. Do you think she ran that horse to death for nothing? It was to tell you, to get to you first before Woodford's lie got to you. Don't you see? Oh, damn Woodford! Don't you see the trick, boy? Then I saw. My heart gave a great thump. The sunlight poured in, and I was back in the road by the old carpet-weaver's cottage. The old woman was alarmed, but her curiosity held like a cable. "'What's he saying?' she piped. "'What's he saying?' "'That it's all a lie, Aunt Peggy,' replied Judd. She turned her squint eyes on him. "'Who told you so?' she said. "'Who told you?' growled Ump. "'Them as knows,' she said and the curiosity piped in her voice. Did they lie? They did, said Ump. Mr. Ward's hurt, but he ain't dangerous. Bless my life, cried the old woman. And they lied, did they? I think a liar is the meanest thing the Savior died for. They said Mr. Ward was took sudden with blood poisoning last night, and a dying, the scalawags. I'll dress em down when I get my eyes on them. "'Who were they, Aunt Peggy?' I ventured. She made a funny gesture with her elbows, and then shook her finger at me. "'You know I can't tell that, Quiller,' she piped. "'But the blessed God knows, and I hope he'll tan their hides for em. "'I know, too,' said Ump. The old woman leaned out of the door. "'Hey,' she said, "'what's that? "'You know. "'They maybe you'll tell why they came a lion.' "'Can you keep a secret?' said Ump, leaning down from his saddle. The old woman's face lighted. She put her hand to her ear and craned her neck like a turtle. "'Yes,' she said. "'I can that.' "'So can I,' said Ump. The old carpet-weaver snorted. "Humph," she said. "'When you get dry behind the ears, you won't be so pert.' Then she waved her hand to me. "'Light off,' she said, "'and rest your critters.' and get a tin of drinking water After this invitation, she went back to her half-woven carpet, with its green chain and its copperous-colored widths, and we presently heard the hum of the wooden shuttle and the bang of the loom frame. We rode a few steps farther to the well, and Judd dismounted to draw the water. The appliance for lifting the bucket was of the most primitive type. A post with a forked top stood planted in the ground, in this fork rested a long, slender sapling, with a heavy butt, and from the small end, high in the air, hung a slim pole, to the lower end of which the bucket was tied. Judd grasped the pole and lowered the bucket into the well, and then, while one watched by the door, the others watered the horses in the old carpet-weaver's bucket. It was the only thing to drink from, and if Aunt Peggy had caught us with the critter's noses in it, we should doubtless have come in for a large share of that dressing down, which she was reserving for Lemuel Marks. She came to the door as we were about to ride away, and looked over the sweaty horses. "'Sakes alive!' she said. "'You little whelps ride like Jehu. You'll get them horses ganted before you know it.' 
You can't gant a horse if he sweats good, said Ump, but if he don't sweat, you can gant him into fiddle-strings. They're pretty critters, said the old woman, running her eyes over the three horses. Be they Mr. Ward's? We all be Mr. Ward's, answered Ump, screwing his mouth to one side and imitating the old carpet-weaver's voice. Bless my life, said the old woman, looking us up and down. Mr. Ward has a fine chance of scallywags. We laughed, and the old woman's face wrinkled into smiles. Then she turned to me. Which way did you come, Quiller? she asked. Over the bridge, said I. Now there was no other way to come, and the old carpet-weaver turned the counter with shrewd good nature. Maybe you know how the bridge got there, she said. I heard that the dwarfs built it, I said, but I reckon it's talk. Well, it ain't talk said the old woman. A long time ago folks lived on the other side of the river, and the dwarfs lived on this side, and the folks tried to get across, but they couldn't, and they talked to the dwarfs over the river, and asked them to build a bridge, and the dwarfs said they couldn't build it unless the river devils was bought off. Then the folks asked how to buy off them river devils, and the dwarfs said to throw in a thimbleful of human blood and spit in the river. So, one night the folks done it, and the next morning them logs was across. The spectacles of the old woman were fastened around her head with a shoestring. She removed them by lifting the shoestring over her head, polished them for a moment on her linsey dress, and set them back on her nose. Then, she went on, the devilment was done. Just like it allers is when people gets smarter than the blessed God. The dwarves crossed over and rid the horses in the night, and sucked the cows, and made faces at the women so the children was cross-eyed, and the folks tried to throw down the bridge and couldn't do it because the dwarfs had put a spell on them logs. She stopped and jerked her thumb toward the river. Did you ever hear tell of old Jimmy Radcliffe? she asked. We had heard of the old-time millwright, and said so. Well, she went on, they was a layin' a floor in that bridge once it, and old Jimmy got tight on biled cider, and loud he'd turn one of them logs over. So he chucked a crowbar under one of em, and began a pryin', and all at once it that crowbar flew out of his hand, and old Jimmy fell through, and the men cotched him by his wampus, and it took four of em to pull him up, because, they said, it felt like something was a hold in his legs. I reckon, said Ump, it was the cider in Jimmy's legs. If there had been anything holdin', they could have seen it. "'Tain't so certain,' said Aunt Peggy, wagging her head. "'Tain't so certain. There's many a thing a-holdin' in the world that you can't see.' And she turned around in the door and went stumping back to her loom. We rode south in no light-hearted mood. Again we had met the far-sighted cunning of Hawk Roof, in a trap baited by a master, and had slipped from under it by no skill of ours. Had we missed those last words of Patsy, flung back like an angry taunt, I should have believed the tale about my brother and hurried north if all the cattle in the hills had gone to the devil. It was a master move, that lie, and I began to see the capacity of these dangerous men. This was merely an outpost strategy, laid as they passed along. What would it be when we came to the serious business of the struggle? 
And how came that girl on Thornburg's Hill? Cynthia was shoulder to shoulder with Woodford. We had seen that with our own eyes. Had Patsy turned traitor to Cynthia? I looked over at Ump. What did that little girl mean? I said. I give it up, said he. I don't understand women, said I. If you did, said he, they'd have you in a sideshow. End of chapter 7